Roberts, the author of Untold Power, a book about the First Lady that you may not know about or know much about, and that's the Edith Wilson, married to Woodrow Wilson. Rebecca, how did you get onto this story? Is this something that's always fascinated you, or how did you come about this? I sort of backed into it, actually. I had written a couple of books about the suffrage movement and was giving a lot of talks about suffrage, especially leading up to the centennial of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And sort of regardless of who I was talking to and what the format was and where I was, someone would ask me about Edith Wilson. There is a narrative out there in the world that maybe Woodrow Wilson ultimately changed his mind about suffrage because she had whispered in his ear. And it's totally wrong. She was against suffrage and he changed his mind for reasons of electoral math. But I was getting the questions so predictably that I read up on her to make sure that I was answering them accurately and discovered, first of all, she's fascinating, but also um, that the biographies available about her were limited and it was time to write a new one. Right. Now, Edith Wilson, give us a little perspective here. Um, How did she come to... uh come to know Woodrow or, you know, what, what was their, uh, what was their story together? So she um, had grown up in Withville, Virginia, but came here to Washington, D.C. as a teenager. She had an older sister who lived here and married a man who ran a local high-end jewelry store, Norman Galt. And when he died and they were childless, she inherited the store, which was unusual in 1908. So she had some money. She had independence. She had no children. um, And she became kind of a fashionable widow about town. She was the first woman in Washington to get a driver's license. She became known for sort of tooling around town in her little electric car. And she was always beautifully dressed and she was quite stylish. And that's who caught the eye of the president, this wealthy woman of status. And he had been elected in 1912. His first wife died in 1914. And by all accounts, he was heartbroken. Um, But by 1915, he was so lonesome and depressed that his doctor, a man named Carrie Grayson, who was a good friend of Edith Bolingalt's, engineered for the two of them to meet. And the president was just absolutely a goner from the first moment. It was really love at first sight for him. She took a little while longer. Yeah, I see. And now, one of the stories, one of the, uh, I think, uh, points to your book is that she really did a lot. Um, and and you set it up beautifully because, obviously, she had the background, business person. She was independent. Um, but when she, when she became the first lady, was that a, a tough uh, thing for her? Or did she shape it her way? She really hesitated to become first lady. The first time the president proposed, she turned him down flat. And then finally, she said she'd marry him if he lost. That if he lost yeah. re-election in 1916, um, she'd be happy to marry prize, him. Huh? Okay. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, she wanted him, not the office. And she was very aware of being seen as a social climber. She didn't want people to accuse her, as she said, of, of wanting the office, not the man. Uh, by the end of 1915, she had come around and said, I, I'm in. Win or lose, I'll marry you. And they married at the end of 1915. But it wasn't a role she relished. Interestingly, from the beginning of their courtship, she really was fascinated by politics. And their love letters, which are quite something, uh, show that, you know, even from early days, he's writing these 
gushing, romantic, fervent letters about how perfect she is. And she's writing back saying things like, what are you going to say to Germany about sinking the Lusitania? <laughs> you know, what's going on with the Carranza government in Mexico? She really wanted to know the ins and outs of politics. And he finally figured out that that was a surer way to her heart. Um, and by the time they married at the end of 1915, she not only was a political insider, but really his most trusted advisor. She had really supplanted his other confidants. Um, and so by the time she was really rolling as first lady in 1916, she had figured out a way to make that role successful for her. We're talking with Rebecca Roberts, the author of Untold Power, story about Edith Wilson, the uh, uh, first lady uh, during the Woodrow Wilson administration, or at least the, the 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 latter part of it. I mean, because he served two terms, right? And so right. Um, she, she came on. Uh, well, during the, the time of, of conflict, obviously, uh, in this country and around the world. Um, Rebecca, why why did she oppose um, women uh, suffrage? Because you mentioned that, that, you know, you, you had been asked about that. And, and as if she had whispered in his ear to turn and, and she really hadn't. Why, why was she opposed to women's suffrage? Do you, do you, do you have that info? I mean, I wish I knew it. It does seem contradictory that this independent business owning car driving yeah. woman who who blazed trails in a lot of ways did not want women to exercise their full rights as citizens. And yeah. as best I can tell, she never gave interviews about it. She never gave interviews at all. But as best I can tell. Some of it was just sort of a class issue. She felt there was something a little kind of not nice about the suffragist activists. And certainly once the National Women's Party started picketing the White House in 1917 and very directly criticizing Woodrow Wilson, she she really hated that. Yeah. But even before that, you know, the anti-suffrage movement was full of women. Right. And, you know, one of the arguments they made, and I can see Edith being on this team, was that. Women ran the private sphere. They raised the families. They ran the households. That was important and vital. And that by wanting to be involved in the men's sphere, in the public life, they were somehow denigrating the importance of their current roles. And, you know, you saw a version of that argument a generation later with the ERA. And so I right. think that that's where Edith was. She just, there was just part of her that felt that it was a little inappropriate and not quite feminine. We we know that uh, Wilson ran into health issues in the latter portion of his uh, service to the country, and and that's that's where I think you make the point. Eva stepped up, um, taking part in meetings. Uh, was she you know sort of a, a president without portfolio, so to speak, or, or how would you define her role uh, once he was is ill? She really was the acting president. I don't think that's going too far. When he had a stroke in October of 1919, he was severely incapacitated. His whole left side was paralyzed. He um, was bedridden for a very long time. His speech was slurred. He would find it hard to concentrate and follow a conversation. And his doctors were telling him that he must be kept from all stress and kept from all bad news and kept from all exercise. And so he really was incapable 
of doing all of the things he was elected to do. Um, and according to Edith, so the doctors were telling her if he did those things, he would die. But at the same time, if he quit, he'd die because he was fighting to see the League of Nations included in the Treaty of Versailles. And that was his only motivation to improve. And that if he stepped down from the presidency, um, he'd, he'd give up his dream of the League of Nations and he'd have no incentive to get better. And so Edith, according to her, and her memoir must be taken with at least one grain of salt, but according to her, she was being told if he stays president, he dies. If he quits, he dies. If he dies, there will never be world peace. And so from her point of view, the only thing she could do was do his job for him until he was better enough to do it himself, which is you know, preposterous, right? No one elected Edith to anything, but right. that's, that was the path she took. She conspired with his doctor, Carrie Grayson and his chief of staff, Joe Tumulty to keep the extent of his sickness from everybody, from the public, from the press, from the Congress, from the cabinet, from the vice president, from the president himself. He never knew how sick he was. It, you know, when you, when you're relating this, I'm thinking of Nancy Reagan, um, and, and that may not be fair because we, you know, there, there, there obviously aren't direct parallels, but the point has been made that she played a much a larger role than was ever understood at the time. And, you know, was, was it understood that, that Edith Wilson was, was involved, heavily involved, or was that kind of kept from the American public? It, it trickled out. It became, this went on for months. So I have to emphasize the scope of this acting president role. It was not a few days. It was not here and there. It was not when he was having a bad moment. It really right. was from October of 1919, more or less through to the election of 1920. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't seen in public at all for five months. So it's really a different scale of presidential right. incapacity. Um, people did know they, I mean, anybody who had business with the president had to meet with her or write to her or, and then they got an answer from her. Most of those people had a vested interest in keeping him in power. But as the news sort of trickled out and there began to be some news stories saying, you know, if, if he's, okay, let us see him. And if he's not okay, we need to know that. Um, it became clear that the person making the decisions in the White House was the First Lady. And interestingly, not all of those news articles were critical. Some of them said, isn't she being the most devoted wife? Isn't this impressive what she's taking on to save her husband and save his presidency? So it wasn't universally panned. And, and I will say, just a little quick history reminder, the 25th Amendment didn't exist. So there was not a very clear path for how to declare the president incapacitated and what role the vice president would step in and take. The, the language that existed in the Constitution was vague. And the vice president, Thomas Marshall, wanted no part of it. Hmm. Um, so there wasn't a clamor to follow a procedure in the way that there would be after the 25th Amendment was ratified in 1967. Gotcha. Yeah, that's fascinating. Talking with Rebecca Roberts about uh, Edith Wilson, uh, who uh, was a partner of Woodrow Wilson back uh, at the time when uh, the country was was really, uh, you know, sort of grappling with all kinds of things. Uh, the women's vote, the First World War, the United Nations, uh, the, all these things were flying. Um, is it 
is it fair to say that Edith Wilson's kind of set a uh, standard for the first lady? I mean, maybe everything wasn't always known, but the people that followed, uh, hey, you've got a pretty activist person here who used to be uh, first lady. I mean, it was that was that known to others, do you think, uh, going forward? What's so fascinating about Edith's story is that she covered her own tracks pretty thoroughly and downplayed her own role um, in her memoir and in every other retelling of it. And so she was a big proponent of this notion that she was just the dutiful wife and doing everything that the very best Mrs. Woodrow Wilson would do. Mm. She never called herself political and um, managed to say that with a straight face because she claimed that everything the only reason she got involved in politics was to be able to help her heroic husband. So she wasn't trying to set some bar for activist first ladies. Um, In fact, she in public was very traditional. She never gave interviews. She didn't champion a cause the way contemporary first ladies do. Um, She was very much, um, you know, in service, as she said, I serve my husband, not the country. Now, At the same time, as you said, it was a time when America was going through a huge amount of history, including World War I. And because Wilson insisted on going to Paris personally to negotiate that peace, she went with him. And so she was suddenly in every picture, on every stage, on the front page of every newspaper in a way that no other first lady had even approached. First ladies weren't generally known outside of Washington, let alone outside of the country. Mm. And so... She really elevated the role onto an international stage, more or less by showing up um, in a way that we really expect now. Right. I mean, that public diplomacy part of First Lady is now very much expected as her portfolio. But Edith was the first. And how about after leaving the White House? Um, What was her role then just as as wife and and no more? Or did she go go back to business or what what was her uh, was her thing at that point? They left the White House in 1921 when Warren Harding was inaugurated. They stayed here in Washington. They were the first first couple to do that. Since then, the Obamas have. Um, And he did not live very long. Wilson died in 1924. Mm -hmm. She didn't die till 1961. She outlived him by 37 years. Mm -hmm. And she kind of went back to being that wealthy widow about town she had been before she met him. Um, She enjoyed social status. She enjoyed European travel. She enjoyed beautiful clothes. She also spent a huge amount of her time burnishing his legacy, creating that image that we're all sort of revising now about Woodrow Wilson of this heroic visionary of global peace. She spent a lot of her time myth-making and showing up to everything, right? Every time someone was unveiling a statue or naming something after him or dedicating some kind of a scholarship in his name, she was there and making sure that his legacy was represented in a particular way. Wow. We've been talking with Rebecca Roberts, the author of Untold Power, a story of Edith Wilson, who, uh, Helped Woodrow Wilson uh, as president and uh, and beyond. Uh, Rebecca, we thank you so much. Uh, fascinating history. Do you have your uh, sights set on another first lady or uh, topic uh, now that you've got uh, Edith Wilson's story out there? You know, I I am fascinated by these stories of women that are either undertold or poorly told, and ah. um, 
there's no shortage of those, as you might imagine. I can imagine. I haven't committed to my next topic because I haven't had the time to make sure there's enough primary sources yet. Uh, But my day job is at the Library of Congress. I do have access to a huge amount of the nation's resources. So uh, stay tuned. Very good. Rebecca, we thank you so much and the best of luck to you. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Take care.